0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, good morning. Morning. Um, I said to Pastor Ray, didn't she do an amazing job the last two Sundays with... Wow. Wow. I said to her last Sunday, I said, uh, would you mind if I, I, I kind of added a week? Because <laughs> I've had something brewing for the last couple of weeks, and I said, well, I think I'm just going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to add a week to the series. So welcome to You Are More Than What You Think, part three, <laughs> part three. So that's good. Um, I want to just read a quote to you uh, by Henry Newen, a famed theologian. He said this. And it's on the screen behind you so you can uh, track along with it. It says this. Jesus came to announce to us that our identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, an illusion. Loudly and clearly, he says, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. I want you to say after me this morning, I am more than what I think. I want you to have a picture this morning of something beyond yourself. Um, How many know sometimes sometimes if you are too busy doing too many things, sometimes you have opportunities to have a a five-day rest what you didn't plan for, right? This is what happens when you get a concussion. You have a five-day rest of which you can do absolutely nothing. You can't even look at screens. You can't watch any movies. You can't even read, which I love to do, because you can't concentrate on the lines of a, of a book, and so I sat still in a dark room for five straight days and did nothing except had some time with my father, which was awesome. And so um, when I was pondering, reflecting, and, and just thinking about um, my relationship with God, because that's really where that whole thing ends up with. When you have time just between you and him, you've got nothing else to do but to think about you and him, Right? How many know that sometimes the best decision we can actually make in our lives is to actually have a true Sabbath rest once a week? Sometimes we, we translate things from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then we forget the principle. How many know that rest is an important thing? Rest breeds creativity. Rest brings peace. Rest breeds a whole bunch of different things. Um, but as I was pondering and thinking uh, for, the, for those five days, and I had nothing else to do, I kept landing on one thought, and God was reminding me of what He did in my life 20 years ago. And you know what I came out of that entire five days with? Are you ready for this? I did a heavy revy. Are you ready? I'm a child of God. That was it. Yet that's everything. Sometimes the most incredible breakthrough that you're ever going to get is when you recognize and realize that you are in Christ, that He loves you with an everlasting love, that it doesn't matter what you do, it can't make Him love love you anymore, and it doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to make Him love you any less. God loves you with an everlasting love. Do you believe that this morning? Bill Johnson, a pastor of Bethel Church down in Redding, California, said this. He said, royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. I got to say that again cuz that's so good. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. When I was off for those 5 days, I misbehaved for one moment, and I actually went and I found one of my old journal books from 1998, and I was looking through the first couple of pages, and I was just reminding myself of what God did in my life 20 years ago. And I want to just read to you a little excerpt from my personal journey uh, journal from March the 7th, 1998. And it said this, two things you need to get, Cameron. Stay consistently rooted in the Father's love to see revival. And you have to be satisfied in the security of God's love. Two things that have literally been my life cry, my life source for the last 20 years. It's been an incredible breakthrough for me. 20 years ago, I had an experience with the Father's love that absolutely transformed my life. Prior to that, I was religious. I was legalistic. I was, um, I, I like to prophesy a lot. You know how prophetic people that are too black and white, they harm everybody? I was doing a lot of that. Um, how many love to, you know, justify their own judgmental spirit by saying, I'm just, I'm just truthful? Right But in reality, I was just absolutely a pawn of Satan himself by the way that I spoke to people. And God did something in my life that absolutely rocked my world. I understood for the first time in my life, not just the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paved a way for relationship with me, not just the fact that I could be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things, but for the first time in my Christian journey in 97, I experienced the Father's love. It absolutely revolutionized my life. Can I say this morning, Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you valuable. He died on the cross because you are valuable. Huge difference. You are valuable this morning. You are more than what you think. Amen? Do you believe that? Amen. I believe understanding that concept, understanding that you are loved by God, is absolutely the biggest key to understanding the heart of God for you and to see the very plan and purposes of God for your life come to pass. I'm so excited that we don't just believe in God, but He also believes in us. Sometimes we have this this mindset, especially if you've grown up in any kind of religious background, you have this mindset where you have to strive and please and impress. I'm going to keep impressing God by how many times I say amen at those key points when the pastor's speaking so that I can get his attention and make it look like I'm really godly. Of course, no one here does that. <laughs> Thanks, baby. You're so kind. I love it. All right. That's so encouraging. But I have a I have a, 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 I guess a question for us this morning. Who are you beholding? Who are you beholding? Who's captured your attention? What do you like to look at? Whose image influences your life? I want to read you a quote from Leif Hetland. It says this, What you're beholding is what you're becoming. And what you become is what you release. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. I say it again. What you're beholding is what you're becoming and what you become is what you release you teach what you know but you reproduce who you are i can honestly say we don't really truly know ourselves until we understand the heart of papa god for us abba father daddy god that's his heart can I go on a little bit of church history with you this morning, if that's all right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to track you through some different reformations over the last uh, literally hundreds of years. And I want to, in a sense, kind of lay a framework for where I want to land this morning. Um, how many have ever heard of Martin Luther? Okay. Um, and what we can actually do, um, we can actually put that next slide up there uh, for me. Awesome. You can just look at that while I speak. But the first Reformation was Martin Luther in 1517, the 95 Theses on the door in Wittenberg, and obviously transformed uh, life. Uh, That's why it was called the Reformation. Uh, It literally, uh, literally twisted and turned everything around so that we started to understand our reality in Christ rather than having to go through a priest for everything. They actually had not only a Bible in their own language for the first time, but they understood this concept of justification by faith. In other words, you could be saved by faith in Christ. You're not saved by good works. You're not saved by duty and obligation in the church. You're not saved by any of those things, but you can have a relationship with Christ because of what he did for you. If I can say this morning, that Reformation in 1517 was a Reformation of grace. Say grace. For the first time in, in really in, th- in thousands of years or hundreds of years, they understood this concept of grace. What did it do? That Reformation restored the Son. It restored the Son, Jesus. Because to that point, everything was disconnected. Their concept of God was disconnected. The only person they had connection to was the priest. Everything else was disconnected. The second Reformation, I'm going to say, happened around 1906. For those that know your church history, I know some people would argue there's the, you know, the the great awakenings. There's the two great awakenings in the 1800s, late 1700s, into the 1800s. I would say they're definitely an awakening, but I'm talking about Reformation. I'm talking about something that reforms culture, okay? The Reformation in 1906 restored what I'm going to say is called power. You restored power. Azusa Street, 1906, Los Angeles, California the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened and it literally revolutionized not one movement but multiple denominations across the planet because of Azusa Street. There are, there are denominations today that have gotten so far away from their roots. But if you actually go back into those denominational roots, you'll see that Azusa Street... 1906, had an incredible influence and impact on sometimes the very beginnings of those denominations and the shifting of denominations and where they put their focus. It was a restoration of the Holy Spirit. Gifts, power, anointing, miracles. You saw every decade from 1906 on restoring different facets of the work of the Holy Spirit. You saw in the 50s the, the restoration of miracles. The 60s, you saw the restoration of, of even the prophetic movement and some of the things around the gifts of the Spirit. The 70s were a work of, of, of deep, deep, deep ministry of healing. You saw that's where the shepherding movement happened in the 70s. There was deep healing that happened as a result of the Spirit of God. But there's a third Reformation that we're about to walk into, and I believe it started about 20 years ago, about 25 years ago. And it's a Reformation of love. And it's restoring the Father's heart. February of 1994, there was something that happened in Toronto called the Toronto Blessing. And I'm not here to make a statement for or against it. I can say I was there for a couple of the meetings, and my life was absolutely touched by God there. That's all I can say. There are some things that went on there that are debatable. There's some things that I personally don't agree with. There were some things that should have been taught that weren't. Um, But I'll tell you one thing that was started in that movement in in the Toronto Blessing was the restoration of the Father's love. A couple of months later, revival broke out down in Florida called the Pensacola Revival. It has had one of the most significant uh, movements and, and, and touch of God that has happened in the last 25 years. They saw hundreds of people that were driving by on the interstate highway having to pull off on the side of the road because they were driving by the church that was just off the side of the highway and they were so moved by God they'd pull off the side of the road and start weeping and crying out to God. People would walk in and put, literally take one step across the threshold of the, of the old front door, and they would fall on their face and start crying out to God in repentance for all the stuff they'd done wrong. They didn't even make it into the sanctuary. That was the Pensacola revival. Guess what day it happened on? Guess what day it started? Father's Day. Ironic? I think not. Right? It is absolutely the heart of God to see a reformation of love and a restoration of the father heart of god to the church but i want you to see this here i want you to see this the reformation of grace was like a river brought in obviously you know characterized by intellect by education all those different things it came into the reformation of power 1906 characterized by gifts activity business anointing gifting power all those things um, and then we see that the, well, he calls, uh, I got this off of uh, somebody that I know in ministry, but I'm going to call it the love reformation. He calls it the agape Refor, uh, reformation, which is the Greek word for God's love. But it's about intimacy, community, relationships. This is what God wants to see restored. But can I say this morning, the church worldwide globally right now is what's, what I call is in the inlet of transition. I think we do pretty well with this, to be honest with you. I think as a church we do really well with this. But globally, the church of Jesus Christ is stuck in that inlet and transition. That's why you see so much conflict. That's why you see so many people that are confused. And you see so many people that are, are in this process of cleansing. They're literally between the place where they used to be and the place where they're going to be. And they're stuck in between it thinking, God, what are you doing? How many in your spiritual lives right now with a show of hands are feeling pressure from God to change? And there's this constant pressure. There's this constant weight that keeps coming. And everything inside of you is saying, God, just leave me alone. Like, come on. He's like, I know your address. I know. You've got like GPS on everything that I do. Drives me nuts. But God loves you. He's chasing you. That, that awkward feeling, that, 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 that discomfort is from God himself. Why? Because he's wooing you into a deeper relationship because right now the only way you're living is you're thinking about yourself the way others think about you or some of you are thinking about yourself the way that you've always seen yourself but God wants to show you this morning that you are more than what you think because you have the very heartbeat of heaven locked up in your heart that God wants to release and I I tell you right now there's a reformation of love that's coming And it's going to be like a tsunami wave that is going to hit us. And that tsunami wave that's going to hit us is going to transform us. And it's going to take us to a whole other place in Him. And what's going to happen is He's going to cleanse us and He's going to transform us. And then He's going to say, go! Be that reformation of love in this culture. Amen? The first reformation was a baptism of water. The second Reformation was a baptism of the Spirit, but the third Reformation is a baptism of love. It's about being immersed in the Father's love. How do I know this to be true? Look around you. We have the most globally connected and most wounded group of people I have ever seen in my life. There was an art, or There was actually i uh, uh, I'm trying to think what it was. It was. I guess it was like a, an interview on CBC. This came out about two months ago, and there was two baby boomers on one side of the table and there was two millennials on the other side of the table. It's about 20 minutes long and it was absolutely eye-opening on how the different generations look at things, how they perceive things and how they adjust to things. It was shocking actually. But you know what I came out of that video with? This longing in my heart that God Lord, they don't know your love. They're broken. Everything that they say is speaking from a place of brokenness. Everything that they do is coming from a place of brokenness. Why? Because families are broken. So that's all you know is brokenness. But God is doing something. It's about identity. It's about living from love, not for love. Do you hear me there? It's understanding this morning that you are God's happy thought. For those that love Peter Pan. You're God's happy thought. And healing comes from a baptism of love. I wanted to I wanted to bring this series to a close and I wanted to give you guys a visual. And I'm hoping, honey, I may need your help. But I'm hoping um, that you guys come away from this visual and remember that you are in a process where God wants to establish his identity and as a result, your authority. I thought how Pastor Ray brought that together identity and authority, which then when you kind of flesh that out, it's about territory. It's about taking ground for God. How many know the church cannot be silent anymore? we got to stand up. Honey, can I get your help for a second? Um, So I want you to look at chair number one, which is on that end, and she's going to help me out here. You want to just turn that around and tape that back up. This chair uh, is called the kingdom of the world. How many know what we're talking about? So that's the customs of the world. That's the people in the world. That's the, you know, the, the philosophies of the world. It is literally the kingdom of the world. And I'm going to call that the slave to worldliness. Okay, People who are sitting in this chair in their life right now are lost. They're not saved. They don't have a relationship with Christ. They are lost. Okay, The second chair um, is what I'm calling the kingdom of self. The kingdom of self. And we're going to leave that up there so you guys can see it. It means that you are servant. You're no longer a slave, but you're a servant not to a relationship, but to religion. You're servant to obligation and duty. You're servant to a list of do's and don'ts. You're a servant to religion. And the third one is the kingdom of, can you guess? God, thank you. The kingdom of God. This is a son or daughter to relationship. You're either slave to worldliness, you're either servant to religion, or you're a son and a daughter to relationship. Can I say it like this this morning? If you're sitting in the the first chair, the world chair, you are what others think. If you're sitting in the second chair, it's what you think about yourself, and the third chair is what God thinks about you. But can I say this morning, When you sit in this chair, you constantly act like you're more than what you think because that's all you know because that's all he tells you. How many have ever had the most encouraging school teacher in your life and you just felt like there was nothing you couldn't do because they just kept cheerleading you on? How many had the most incredible parent where they just kept cheerleading you on and you just felt like there was, you know that you had limitations and you know your skill level was probably fairly low, but you just felt like you could do anything? You know what I'm saying? When I grew up, I had this one kid that always used to say, Cameron, like, you're going to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs because you're that good. What he didn't realize is the only reason I got so many goals is because I was a cherry picker and I never came back, right? I just stayed up by the other blue line and just grabbed all the pucks and put them in. It was like, it was awesome. So I had 50 goals one year and they're like, how do you do it? I don't believe in defense. (laughs) And they come, what's your problem? I go, that's why there's a goalie. Like, come on. Like, why would we not have a goalie? If we had no goalie, I'd come back, right? But... (laughs) Some people didn't seem to understand my logic. It was ridiculous. But hey, I thought it was brilliant. So people in chair number one, the world, are lost. People in this chair are Christians. People in this chair are Christians. They're both saved. But they're confused, some of them. (laughs) I want to take the next couple of moments... I want you to explain to you the differences between these two chairs, okay? So if you came in this morning and you grabbed a bulletin, you're going to have one of these in your, in your bulletin. If you didn't grab one of these in your bulletin, then, <clears throat> then grab one on the way out. That's for you to keep. I want you to understand for a second something. This chair here is the chair of compromise, That chair is the chair of commitment. Compromise, commitment. Okay? How many know that there's problems in the world? When you're sitting in this chair, your problems are very big, and you have a little papa. In this chair, you have a really big papa, and your problems are really small. Right? You tracking with me? All right. This chair likes to live in the pain of past failures. This chair lives in the hope and the joy of God's faithfulness. Right? This chair is filled with people that know how to achieve. This chair is filled with people that know how to receive. You checking with me? We good? This is about stress. This is about rest. Are we tracking? This chair is filled with people that know how to get people to heaven. This chair is filled with people that know how to get heaven into you. All three of you thought that was good. That's good. This chair loves to speak about the giant. This chair loves to speak to the giant about how big their God is. This chair loves to give out robes, which represent salvation. This chair loves to give out rings, which represents family and identity. We tracking? This chair loves to compete with others. This chair loves to complete others. Are you seeing the difference? This chair loves to focus on their assignment. This chair loves to focus on alignment. How do I know? Because when you're focused on your assignment, it screams self. When you're focused on alignment, it screams I need God. Right? This chair is filled with people that have experienced a visitation from God. This chair is filled with people that have a continual habitation of the presence of God in their life. Amen. That self chair reads the word of God out of duty. This group leads the word out of delight. Are we tracking this morning? So I want to just I want to act something out because I love to. I'm I'm uh, like I really missed my calling in life. I wanted to be an actor. I really did. Every time there's award shows, I feel like calling into the Oscars and saying, you know, you should see my acting skills at home with my four-year-old. Who needs Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling? Come on, I am the true Canadian here. Come on, all right. But here's what happens if we live in the realm of self as a Christian for far too long. We have two ways that we slip into, two patterns, and I'm going to try to do this without falling off and giving myself another concussion. Are you ready? (laughs) Here's how we live. We go religious, which means we have the thinking of this chair and we could tell you about this chair, but we've never experienced it in our heart. But our feet secretly are walking in the world, but we hide it so well because we don't want anyone else to know. Yeah? I'm going this way now. (laughs) Woohoo! Are we ready? The other way, if we're not being legalistic or religious, we're being liberal. So our mindset is worldly, our hearts are still deceived. But what we do is we do this so that people don't really know that we actually still believe in God. So we hide them under the chair so that we don't only bring them out when we want key people to see what we're really like. And then when we see certain people coming towards us, we hide them. We hide them again. We don't want people to know that we have a connection to God unless we're around the pastor, and then we want him to know. Right? Right. Okay, that was a good word. Can I say it like this? Chair two is a soulish Christian life. It's the pigeon religion, as I'm going to call it this morning. Amen? You're influenced by the world. Why? Because the world is so close to you. And there's far too many Christians that love to do this. And they can say, hey, I'm still in this chair. They said, yeah, you're still in the chair, but now you're becoming more and more what others think of you and less and less of what God thinks of you. And you're living in that mindset. Amen? The Father still speaks to people in this chair, but it has to filter through all of your emotions and all of your experiences and all your baggage to get through to your spirit. And how many know by the time it gets to your spirit, it's not quite as pure as it was once given? And we misunderstand and we mishear things. Chair two people often live from the fear of something rather than the faith of something. And you get your identity based upon what you do or don't do rather than on God's love for you, period. End of story. Chair number three, which I love, is the spirit-filled life. It's the dove, not the pigeon religion, it's the dove relationship. Remember when Jesus was baptized? John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he baptizes Jesus. And the Father speaks and says... This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will conquer the Romans. No, he says, "This is my ooh, this is my son." What was what was the Father God saying? He's with me. It's about identity. What happened the moment that he received that word from his father? The Spirit of God came in the form of a dove. And I honestly believe he just rested on his shoulder. Came down and just rested on his shoulder. And that's what God is calling us into chair three. To live like him, to love like him, to abide in sonship. I want to show you uh, this concept played out in the Bible in such a, a, a crazy cool way. Are you ready for this? Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 to 19. Says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, I don't know why they just didn't pick one name, but anyhow, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Can I reword it like this? What do people sitting in the first chair over here, the world chair, think about who I am? So guess what happened? The disciples, every one of them except Peter, said um, from chair two, mind you, they said what? Let's read on the screen. They said, uh, some say John the Baptist, uh, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. They were speaking from chair two. And watch what happens to Simon. Simon. He said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? In other words, who am I to you? And Simon, in an instant, gets a Papa revelation. He gets a Daddy God revelation. Are you ready for this? He says this. He is literally in transit between chair two and chair three. And he lands on chair three and he says this. You are the Christ The Son of the living God. He could have very easily said, because what they were looking for, I want you to understand this, what they were looking for in this day was a Messiah. So for him to say this really made no sense. He should have said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the coming King, because that is what they were desperately looking for. But Peter gets a revelation of identity. And he says, you are the son of the living God. In that moment, Simon saw Jesus the way his father saw Jesus. Amen? Can I ask you a question or say this statement? Who Jesus is to you will be who he is through you. That's the revelation of identity. Simon had a revelation of sonship because he landed in chair number three. That's what he needed to do. He had to land in the kingdom of God. It goes on in verse 17. It says this, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father. Again, if you understand the Greek words and the Hebrew words that would be normally used to describe God himself, he's using a different word. He didn't describe God as God He could have said Yahweh. He could have said Elohim. He could have said a whole bunch of different terminologies and concepts that would have fit into a a royal God that they believed in. Believing for a Messiah to come, but he didn't say that. He says, no. Your Father in heaven revealed this to you. And I also say to you that you are now Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. I want you to catch this for a second here. Jesus turns around Simon's revelation and changes his identity from Simon to Peter because he was now a son. Too many people are living like Simon here when he's saying, be like Peter here. He totally flipped it around. He says, you're going to be a rock. Foundation. Interestingly enough, the the kind of the the word that's parallel in the Hebrew for the word rock is the word eben. It comes from two different root words, eb and ben. Can you say eben? Okay, all three of you were tracking with me there. Here's what eb means. Again, this is the, the, the Hebrew uh, root words for rock. Eb means father. Ben means son. Hello. How is it that we could overcome the enemy? How is it that we could overcome the, the, literally the gates of hell? Identity. Who are you? Are you striving to win Father God's approval? Are you striving to impress him? Are you living in chair number two? Are you, Some of you may even be this morning living in chair number one. And God is saying it's from that chair that you have identity. It's from that chair you have authority. Why? Because authority truly comes from identity. That's how it works. Pastor Ray said it so beautifully the last two weeks. Authority comes from your identity. You don't get your identity by how much authority you have, but that's that's what corporate America teaches you. It's the total opposite with God. You want to live? Die. You want to get? Give. What? That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. God's a backwards God. I love it. You know? It's good. It's good stuff. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 19. He says, and I'm going to give you keys. Keys to who? Keys to what? Keys to bring the culture and the kingdom of heaven, of God, onto earth. Why? Because every single person that is sitting on this chair and almost every single person that is sitting in this chair is struggling with an orphan mentality. I'm going to give you keys to unlock their heart and to help them to see that there's curses and things that would be broken over your family and over your life generationally because you've landed in this chair and you've said everything that I need is just God and God alone. It's a love revolution. It is a love reformation where God wants to touch the very depths of your heart so that you experience the very heartbeat of heaven so that when you speak to people, there's not a lot of you that people can see. There's a whole bunch of Jesus that they're looking at when you're speaking to them. Do you believe that this morning? When you live in that third chair, you add value to those around you because you're valuable to God. It's a good word. When you're landed, completely landed in chair three, I want you to hear this. You don't treat people based on their history, but you treat them based on their destiny. 20 years ago, this is where I was sitting. And there was a couple different people, but one in particular. I always call him Papa Bob. He's my spiritual daddy. And he knows, he he writes every card he sends to our kids every year for Christmas, birthdays. He's always signed Papa Bob. He sends me an email every day encouraging me every single day. The only times he's missed it in the last 20 years is when his computer crashed and he was off for a week. Every single day, he sends me a note and says, I love you, believing in you, praying for your church. Here's a little devotional that I want you to read today just to encourage you. I'm so thankful that when he looked at me, he didn't see my history. Because if he saw my history, I don't think anyone would waste time with me. He saw my destiny. And when he spoke to me, He spoke to me about my destiny. And you know what started happening? I liked being around him. Something started to happen. Something started to take root. I didn't define myself any longer by what I used to do. I didn't define myself any longer by the mistakes that I've made in the past. I started to define myself by the way that God loved me. And he gave me a tangible example on the earth called Papa Bob. To love me despite of where I was and who I was and what I was acting like. Hmm. I don't know if you guys remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan. Luke 4, it says, and he was drawn out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. And what was the first question that Satan asked Jesus? If you are the son of God, What was Satan doing? He was challenging him to see if his identity was in his power, his anointing, or in God, his father. And guess what Jesus responded? Basically, speak to the hand three times in a row. Speak to the hand. Why? Because it was security and identity that literally propelled him into the destiny of God for his life. As a result, his identity was secure. That was the heart of God. Can I say it like this this morning? Three basic thoughts that you've got to remember. Once you have intimacy, or sorry, once you have identity through intimacy, then you have your inheritance. But if you don't have those first two, you'll never see the inheritance to the degree that you want to. So you're always reaching out for inheritance. I can say from... From my own experience, when I sat in this chair for too long, I was always looking for my inheritance to satisfy my internal lack of happiness. God, just bring me the purpose for my life. God, just bring me my wife. That was my cry for about a year and a half. Lord, if you really love me, bring me my wife. <laughs> and there was no Kleenex coming from heaven. I realized that after a couple of days. I'm like, come on, God. Like, I'm like crying out to you. Like, I, I, I'm not a bad guy guess what happened Papa Bob started speaking life into me and I started transitioning over here and the moment that I was super glued to this chair with the special sauce of the love of God (laughs) Sandra showed up the rest is history identity intimacy inheritance. Amen? I want to end with a verse, and then, I'm, then we're going to just do something a little bit different this morning. Why is it that this is so important? I read a... I actually watched a video this past week, and it was a guy who has a, a worldwide ministry to Muslims. And he basically said, you know, one of the, the realizations that I've had about Muslims and about some of the things that they've gone through in the history of the Muslim faith... He says, if you understand a Muslim, you'll understand that they're all orphans. What is it that's happening in our culture today, right now? They're all orphans. Why is it that people do some of the stuff that they do? Because they're an orphan. They think like an orphan. They, they, They speak like an orphan. They process and they filter things like an orphan. And God is literally saying, when you get this, that orphan spirit cannot stay. As a matter of fact, wherever you go, it gets that spirit of adoption, that spirit of identity, that spirit of who we are in Christ, that we're more than, a, than we think we are. That spirit comes on us, and we just start literally just having it fall on everyone around us, everywhere we go. Ephesians 3, 17, verses down to 21. It, I want to focus on verse 17. It says to be rooted and grounded in love. And then it goes on to describe the height, the width, the depth, Of the love of Christ. What is so key about this? When we're rooted and grounded in the love of God for our lives, everything changes. Everything changes. I believe it's in that moment when the love of God goes deep, that roots start to form. And as a result, roots go down deep, fruit starts to come. And then when life happens and circumstances start to squeeze us, guess what comes out of us? Papa, not us. When we're squeezed, Father God comes out. (laughs) I can honestly say, first 22 years of my Christian walk, I was in that chair. It's no fun. It feels more like fun and more comfortable because it's what we always have known. But it is the worst experience of my life. The last 20 years have been here. It's glorious. It's glorious. I don't have a care in the world. I don't. So much so that I'm ignoring the jersey being worn in the fourth row. I don't have a care in the world. I never noticed it. I didn't notice it the moment he walked in. I didn't notice it at all. Oh, God. (laughs) Please, Lord. 6-3, that was four goals in the third period, Lord. Come on. Oh. It's embarrassing. <laughs> just when I thought we were going to win three two, come on! And then boom, 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 boom. Jesus, you just got off the throne. <sighs> so I had to ask him last night about ten thirty. Jesus, did you move to chair two? And they looked down at me and went, "No, but I can move you to chair three if you don't be quiet, <laughs> right?" Ah. <sighs> fruitful. It's his heart for humanity. Can I say this morning, and I want to end with this thought, you only have authority over what you love. Jesus had authority over the entire world because he loved the world. Jesus had authority over those that lived in the self chair because he loved them. Jesus could go to heaven with confidence knowing that he died for everyone in each of those chairs. You only have authority over those that you love. I've seen people for years that in counseling and, 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 I mean, I can remember back to some kind of key moments when I was counseling at John Howard Society years and years and years ago. And the one thing that I tried to get people to, to get to, this place that I had to get them to, and it took a long time with some people, but I had to get them there. Basically, said if you cannot love those people that you are in bitterness against, then you are absolutely hang-tying them from ever receiving the blessing of God in their life. Now, I'd use different words because I couldn't say God and John Howard, but I use different words. Jesus saw breakthrough in these people's lives because he loved them, he saw breakthrough in these people's lives. Because he loved them. He saw breakthrough in these people's lives because he loved them. You only have authority over those you love. How many have ever had someone come to you and say truthful advice in a way that wasn't very loving? And how many didn't walk away from that going, wow, I just feel so warm and fuzzy. Lord, I would like you to kill them. Because if you don't, I will. Of course, none of us have ever had that thought. Because we're too religious. You know what I had to do here? That absolutely broke everything. I got to the point... We're playing the game of laying down this way and then laying down that way and then laying down this way then laying down that way then laying down this way then laying down that way then sitting here got really exhausting. Got tiring. It's very annoying when five years later you're still in the exact same spot that you were five years ago. At some moment I had to say God I'm going to believe your words about me and not just believe what I think about me, and I'm not just going to believe what everyone else thinks about me. I'm actually going to believe your words. Amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.